The Start On Demand. On demand. Hey, hey, it's GMAC for vacationing Brett McGarry and Loren McNabb. Thanks for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to The Start On Demand. This morning, COVID-19 in a Brandon. Abigail Turner is there for us on behalf of Global News. We'll find out what the latest is on testing there. We'll also discuss speeding on the Keniston extension. It's out of control. Janice Lutz, Marcus Chambers saying... Hey, perhaps we need more photo radar. Lots of you say, uh, not more photo radar, less photo radar. We will discuss that and much else, including shower food. Jeffrey Forche tells us there's one food he suggests is ideal for consumption in the shower. Let's get right down to business. and McNabb with you. McGarry is back on Monday, or maybe he's never coming back. Maybe he's hitting the PGA Tour, his first ever hole-in-one yesterday. Very exciting. We are going to uh, try and uh, shake Brett out of bed later on this morning and, and celebrate with him. If you want to hear his reaction, at Brett McGarry is his Twitter account. He posted the shot, not the shot, but the end result. And hey, if he's not on the PGA Tour, maybe it was one of those million-dollar holes-in-one. You know how you like, some courses they have the certain uh, hole you get you get you get a prize. Well, I was yesterday, and I want to thank uh, the folks at the St. Boniface Hospital Foundation. The Cardiac Classic 2020 edition yesterday raised over seventy thousand oh, dollars awesome. for cardiac care and cardiac research at St. Boniface Hospital. Bob Lafrenier, uh, the organizer there, uh, Jessica Miller, Vince Barletta, everybody. Uh, so great to see the individuals involved. It was a windy day out at Niaqua, but a bad day. In terms of weather conditions at Niaqua is a great day anytime. So thanks to them, there were two holes in one. Uh, prizes. 25 grand. Oh, wow. For See? each one, I came nowhere near uh, a hole in one. I barely, I, I don't think I hit the green on either shots, but uh, it is neat to have those hole in one competitions at uh, those particular events. But let's start this half hour uh, with a speed of a different kind. If you live in certain corners of the city where high speed corridors with fairly new pave, pavement go inside, you may have had the opportunity to hear and or see vehicles traveling at speeds much higher than posted speed limits. Street racing and overall speeding has become a genuine concern for citizens, police, and at least two Winnipeg City Councillors, Loren. So take a listen, and then we want to get your thoughts uh, in a moment. But here's Marcus Chambers, chair of the Winnipeg Police Board. He has indicated that the province is currently uh, reviewing the photo radar program and it may lead to recommendations that will provide for newer technology and additional flexibility on how it's deployed, which which will increase traffic safety and hopefully deter speeders. So the he that you heard Marcus Chambers refer to there is, of course, Winnipeg Police Chief Danny Smythe. He was updating Julie and Richard on the news yesterday. Marcus updating them on the news yesterday afternoon on the status of this review that's been underway on photo radar. And it's being reviewed by the province and they're taking a look at how it's used in the city and, of course, in and around Manitoba. 
That was Marcus Chambers. We just heard from Councillor for St. Norbert. Now I want to go to Councillor for Waverly West, Janice Lukes, who says the situation in her part of the city has become unmanageable and she wants new technology to be part of the solution in slowing people down. The new section of Keniston, basically from Bishop Brown into the perimeter, that uh, beautiful, beautiful road to let loose on. Marcus Chambers, what can you do about it? Well, uh, it's the same concerns that I've been having with respect to traffic safety and speeding in residential areas. So it is something that uh, we, as a board, will be taking back to the Winnipeg Police Service to see how we can effect- effectively address this matter. I've been putting in these speed tables all over, and, and you know, they're fine. They work. But it, it's a ridiculous amount of money to put these in. What we need to do, really, and, and I'm telling residents this is what we need to do now. The province of Manitoba is looking at their photo enforcement strategy. Other cities across North America are looking at remotely figuring out how to monitor speed. We can't possibly have police everywhere for enforcement. And and we really need to look at automating how we track speed. And, And this photo radar enforcement, I know it's taken a bad rap in the past, but we've got to tune it up and we've got to make it work because it's ridiculous. Loren, photo radar and cash grab are often uttered in adjoining thoughts and sentences in these parts. Is the threat of a fine for speeding with the aid of technology the best solution? Luke's seems to think so. Find them all we can. You know what? It's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. I have seen videos of crashes. The kids are filming because they think it's cool. Something gets goes out of hand. Um, you, you hear it. We all hear it. It's it's crazy. And, and you know, we, it's not sustainable to put police out all the time to deal with it. It's not sustainable to put speed humps everywhere. It's ridiculous, really. Mind you, they do that in Mexico, and it's actually quite effective. So, But I, I really believe we've got to do this remote technology and get really good at it. So this is a divisive issue, to be sure. Uh, Loren, you mentioned last week people were actually in fi- in favor, to, in some sense, to and open to the idea of photo radar on the south perimeter to control that section where the speed has been reduced, the speed limit has been reduced to 80 kilometers an hour. We would love to hear your thoughts, 204-780-6868. But here's the caveat in that conversation we'd like to have with you. It's easy to say, no, it's a cash grab. What is your solution? If you're against photo radar or other technologies to aid police and law enforcement to slow you down, what do we need to do? Because it is a problem that's undeniable. There are too many cars out there going too fast. Street racing has become a huge issue. What is your solution? Don't just say no photo mm-hmm. radar. What do you think we ought to do? And another part of that equation is too often, particularly in this climate of increased crime in Winnipeg, we just had that report out last month, Greg, about violent crime again up in Winnipeg. Often people will say, well, this is where the cop police need to be focused. They need to be focused on on real crime, put that in quotes, and get tracked down the killers and the drug dealers and all that kind of stuff and stop worrying about traffic enforcement or texting and driving or all those kinds of things. Well, those things kill too. They hurt people too, immeasurably sometimes. I think too often we forget that just because there wasn't a fatality, someone's life is usually irrevocably changed as a result of some sort of high-speed collision or even just, you know, going 5 or 10 kilometers over the speed limit. So it is a serious issue. It's not – it is, sure, it's a not source just of revenue. Speeding. 
but it's not just speeding. Thank you. And so when we look at this, that has to be part of the equation. Now, as for this review, we've got questions out this morning and we're emailing the province as to the status of this review. Where is it at? When are we going to hear results? And people should remember that Alberta, they released a third party report, I believe it was in 2019, looking at photo radar enforcement. They found at certain locations there was a 1.4% drop in collisions, 1.4. Now, police have come out and said that's actually significant when you can when you do the math on the overall number of collisions. Other people might argue that's really low. So it is, as a result, more about cash than it is about safety. So what we need to see is the data. We've been saying this for months. Show us how it's reducing collisions. And if mm-hmm. we have that result, then the proof is in the pudding. You can go out and say, yeah, the fine will work. They will help. I guess the question is, do they have the proof? We'll, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll know that. Hopefully, we'll know that soon. Because you have Janice Lukes there saying, find them. Find them as much as you can. Well, that's okay. Because at the end of the day, you're still getting revenue for the city. But are you solving the problem mm-hmm. that you're really concerned about? Well, here's a great point from our loyal listener, Eve. And this is something that's been discussed in the past. Mayor Sam Cates uh, threw this out once upon a time. And it was discussed, I think, at length, the idea of building a drag strip close to the city, a place where people who want to go fast can pay to go fast. An actual an actual facility where people who have fast cars can let them go, let them rip, open them up, whatever the terminology well, is there's that tracks, you want to use. Well, there's tracks, right? I think there's, uh, I know that there's an ice track. I think it's Beausager. There's got to be places that you could create something. If that's really what you want to do, you pay. But then that, oh man, the insurance and the liability on mm-hmm. that one would be, mm-hmm. I think, incredible. I, I don't know. I think the consensus for most people is that cameras are a cash grab unless you know you really know they're there like at the flashing signs we've been talking about the needing to flash it gets you to slow down i know in europe for example <laughs> borrowed our sister's car to do a trip with uh, she she lives over there and she got married and <laughs> poor thing had about six photo radar tickets in the mail from us because one of the stretches of highway we just didn't know the speed limit and so it wasn't 100 it was less and uh, you could hear the GPS saying something in a different language like every once in a while. <laughs> oh, and no. it turns out there's just these cameras all along, right? Those major thoroughfares. Ding, 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 ding. Well, it's not making me slow down. I didn't, I didn't know it existed. Even if I lived in that country, people were just whipping by us anyway. It's like they've just decided ah, it's worth it to get there It's the cost faster. of traveling faster. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. But it's, it's worth talking about it and saying, can we do better? I, I can't uh, agree with you more. 646, your conversation, your thoughts on this, 204-780-6868. The texts are flowing in already, as you can imagine. We'd like your solutions. Once again, all well and good to say, no, it's a crash grab. But what do we do? How do we slow people down? That's what we want to hear from you this morning. And one of our listeners, Joanne, texted to say, put police on these supposed drag strips and they'll not only get fines but demerits. And that, again, is a a good point. But the cost of putting the physical police officer versus an outside group who puts the camera up and collects the money is huge, right? And so do we even have the staff to do that? Jeffrey Forche, who I believe will be the star of this segment, Loren McNabb. Why is that? Well, I don't even know. We were talking about s'mores yesterday and pineapple on pizza and all the rest. And then Forche, out of nowhere, shared with us something about a place he likes to snack. We were talking about snacks in bed and where you eat them. And Forche revealed oh, to yeah. us what, Jeff? Uh, in the shower. Like need, you, you eat in the shower. You need shower food. 
I said the, <laughs> I said jerky is the perfect oh, that was shower <laughs> food. <laughs> That's gross. I, no, gross. It's not gross. Well, here's what happened, Bron. I said jerky is so gro- gross. I hate it. And then he goes, jerky is the perfect <laughs> shower food. There's so many. Doesn't it get wet? Well, no. Yeah, yeah. Oh, get keep... your mind out of the drain, McNabb. No, that's not what I was thinking at all. I just mean gross. You're eating in the shower, yeah, Forte. Sure. You've sure, actually McNabb, eaten sure. in the shower, Forte. Yeah. Well, jerky. crackers probably wouldn't work well, in the see, shower. Well, that's the thing. Like with jerky, you know, <laughs> you don't put it underneath the water. You stick in your mouth and you chew on it. <laughs> Hey, hey, Bron, you know you know what Seinfeld episode I'm thinking about right now. Yeah, it was Kramer made salad in the shower, right? He got that garburetor installed. Too. Oh, yeah. Multitasking in the shower. Right? So here's the question. Well, let's start with uh, Bron. Do you ever eat in the shower? And if not, what are some nope. weird... <laughs> Who's saying yes to this? I am. 100%. Oh, my oh. gosh. Okay, so what is there a place that you find like what's an acceptable place to eat anywhere else in the house, Jeff? Bron? Yeah, well, I don't I don't eat in the bed bedroom either and certainly not in bed. I mean, just oh. get out of bed and go get something to eat. It's not that hard. Well, the I, craziest I, thing I do is uh since the pandemic began, date night for my girlfriend and I mostly consists of just going for a drive and uh we used to go to the movies a lot, but we didn't of course there for a few months, but on our drives, we'd go buy a bag of popcorn and eat that in the car, and that got that get kind of messy. I've had to vacuum up the car a couple of times to get all the popcorn out of there, but that that's about the craziest thing. And and the popcorn, you know, it's it's not that it's there, but it's it's not like it leaves stains or gross marks or anything like that. It's pretty dry. It's easy to clean. Well, you see, I also said that you know M and M's are the perfect bed food because they're not messy. They're candy coated, so you don't get chocolate everywhere. They don't. There's no crumbs. <laughs> Jeff has put a lot of thought into Why this. do you need to eat in bed? Oh, I eat in bed. I eat it. And then I followed up with, the only thing that gets messy is when I do my nachos and salsa. And then Forshake thought that was going too far. <laughs> yeah, because that's guy eating in the shower thinks that's going too far. I don't know. Kelly Moore? I have nothing for this. I have nothing. <laughs> and I think we're grateful. Like, yeah, I can't compete with any of this. This is... Uh, yeah, I, I guess the, as bizarre as I get, every once in a while, like if it's something really crumbly, like a cookie or a tart or something like that, I'll I'll eat it over the sink, so that the crumbs don't fall on yeah. the floor or whatever. But boy, that's pretty boring compared to Forte and Braun. I don't know. This is uh, the revelations that uh, continue to to come from Jeffrey Forte uh, are fascinating. So, um, can I quickly go around the wheel? So about eating in bed, though, because this has led oh, to a new no, part of the bed. conversation. No, so that's no. a no. No snacks in bed, Kelly. None. And Bron, you're a no. I'm a no. No snacks in bed, Forte. M and M's in bed. We don't want to know what else he eats in there. <laughs> Mackling. Yeah, I'll eat in bed once in a while. Yeah, for sure. I snack. That's why you have a TV in the bedroom. Do you guys mean it? like before you go to sleep or right yeah. when you wake up? Oh, no, no. Not, not when you wake oh, up. I've had breakfast bed. in bed, like on oh, Mother's Day and stuff. Mm, yeah, that's but a special But I've occasion. taken my lunch to bed when I get home. I snack in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I sensed you had a confession to make. <laughs> And this and, and is this that floppy bed you were just complaining about last week? <laughs> yes, it's so old and it's got like a crevasse in it, and obviously That's if called I called the crumb catcher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh. No better place to leave it there, Jeffrey Forche. 
You are a peach. You are a gem. <laughs> Kelly Moore, thanks for this. Jeff Braun. Right now, Greg, we want to switch gears to a conversation about road rage of another kind, potentially. Yeah, I would uh, agree. It's an understatement to say this hasn't exactly been a typical year. But if you head out onto Winnipeg streets, you can see some signs of normalcy, like construction signs. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, without question the sea of red and orange out there with road work underway on La Jamodier, Fermore, Main Street, Portage Avenue, Fort, just to name a few. We're going to get an update from the city after eight about some of the key projects that are underway. But right now we want to talk about what kind of impact this might be having on small businesses, particularly who've had some challenging times during this pandemic. Food Fair has several locations in Winnipeg, but one of its stores is on Maryland, which has been reduced to one lane while road work is underway. Munther Z is, of course, the owner of Food Fair and joins us now. Good morning, Munther. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I actually drove past your store just last week, and uh, I, I I had to admit I dropped a few expletives with the amount of work and the delays going on there. But paint a picture for us. What's going on outside your store when it comes to that construction work? Well, at the beginning, uh, basically, they had the store closed off completely from every entrance possible. They had uh, the entrance on Maryland closed off. They had the entrance back entrance on Westminster closed off because there was two different projects that were uh, started. And I guess whoever planned it from on the city side didn't really plan it properly, but uh, it, was, it was a nightmare at the beginning. Munther, it's very easy for us to sit here and say, well, we complain about the roadways in Winnipeg, and now they're finally fixing them. Uh, why are we complaining? There's a whole level of concern for a business owner such as yours. So how has this affected your business and what are your customers saying? Well, uh, customers are pretty upset that they can't on their way home or just driving there. They almost have to drive uh, a block past it, a block over just to get into the uh, back lane from the other end to get in. And if you're on your way home and you take Maryland, you can't stop in. So you have to drive extra to get to the next grocery store. So, on that end, customers are extremely uh, upset and pissed off. Uh, on the delivery side, uh, it was very challenging getting uh, deliveries into the store due to the uh, closures of every entrance. Uh, we were out there arguing with uh, both companies to provide access uh, to the parking lots. And uh, eventually, uh, it got better. And as of today, it, both entrances, because they've done that side of the road, uh, entrances are open, but now the opposite side of the street is closed, and it's just, uh, I said, it's not as inconvenient, but it's still an issue. So has it hurt business? Yes, uh, we're down uh, quite a bit uh, for this past uh, month and a bit, ever since they started. Uh, I mean, it's not going to break us, but uh, being down hurts. I know there was conversations years ago after Montreal became the first jurisdiction or municipality in Canada to talk about compensating small businesses impacted by construction. It became a debate here for a few weeks in Winnipeg. Have you heard anything from your local city council or the city in terms of recognizing that it's an impact on your business and, and continuing that conversation about finding ways to compensate businesses like yours, Munther? No, nothing at all. Uh, the only conversations we had uh, with the city is like, hey, can you get somebody to open up the parking lot, uh, give some instructions to these uh, construction companies to uh, be a little bit more understanding and cooperative. I mean, when we were going out there, one company was cooperating. The other company would just say, 
we have a permit to be here and just turn their backs and walk away. So what's the answer here, Munther? You obviously have multiple locations, so you're susceptible. You could be, uh, quote-unquote, the victim of this uh, elsewhere. What would you suggest to the city in terms of its uh, process on these sorts of projects? Well, I mean, uh, when they're making, in my opinion, I'm not an engineer nor a planner, but uh, it would be nice to involve the businesses and uh, ask them what their concerns are and how this construction could affect them and find ways to allow access to the business for customers to come in. I mean, that's the most important thing is access. So, I mean, And particularly monthly for people who might have accessibility issues. It's not just getting in the parking lot. If, you, if you're slower, if you have a walker, if you're in a wheelchair, you have a whole other set of problems. It, definitely. It's, like I said, again, it's just access, and it's just finding ways to allow customers to access the business. I mean, whether it be, I mean, a possibility would be, working at night. I mean, a lot of cities are offering that service of uh, construction at night. So this way, when the business is closed, uh, they're working. And in the morning when you get there, they provide some sort of um, uh, walkway or put boards down for people to still walk in or to somehow to get into the parking lot. And this way, most of the work's done at night. I mean, a lot of larger cities are doing that. I don't know why we're not. So you're suggesting month or the idea of actually working at night versus working during the day at all and making it as convenient as possible for uh, customers of businesses. Am, am I hearing you correctly? Yeah, I mean, whether they do construction 24 hours a day or just at night, but at least the part that affects the business in general, do that part at night. I mean, in this way, nobody's uh, inconveniencing the uh, construction workers or the company that's doing it. And the store's not being inconvenienced, and I'm sure uh, that would be, I'm sure a lot of businesses would prefer that, where, hey, they close up, they start working, they open up in the morning, and uh, there's no construction workers there. Customers can come in and out of the store, parking lot, however, without any inconvenience to both sides. Munther, thank you for this. We appreciate you sharing your voice and uh, your concerns with us. Thank you. Have a great day. Western Manitoba, the epicenter of news for us here at 680 CJOB yesterday. That continues this morning, Loren McNabb, as we want to go out to Brandon to find out how that community is handling uh, what's being really described uh, quite often as an outbreak of COVID-19. Yeah, it's currently the largest outbreak the province has seen to date. And Global News Morning reporter Abigail Turner drove out to Brandon this morning to check in on things with us and is now checking in with us now. Good morning, Abigail. Good morning, guys. I know you've uh, been talking to people who have been lining up bright and early from the sounds of it, Abigail, to test. We know there was long lineups at testing sites yesterday. What are you seeing this morning? Well, this morning, people already starting to line up here, Loren. I actually, I masked up. I uh, used my uh, special long pole so that I could go and chat with people in this lineup this morning because uh, the site here at the town center uh, in Brandon doesn't open until 8.45. So went straight to the front of the lineup and the gentleman there said he had been waiting since 6.30 this morning. His girlfriend got tested uh, the day before and she waited a total of four and a half hours to get a COVID-19 test. So he wanted to be here bright and early uh, and hopefully avoid that wait. What is the reason people are going? Is it because they have symptoms, Abigail, or is it an abundance of caution? Uh, Clearly uh, enough people are going out and getting tested in Brandon that there will be a second testing site open later uh, later on in the week. 
There's definitely uh, fear among the residents uh, here in Brandon. Uh, yesterday, uh, the Brandon mayor, Rick Crest, uh, confirmed that as well. He said, you know, residents here are fearful. There is an outbreak of COVID-19 in uh, this small community. Um, and I think that's really what's driving folks to go and get tested. Um, you know, you have a cough, you have a sneeze, and I think your automatic uh, thought is, oh, no, am I, am I infected? It, has that changed in terms of the mood from what you're hearing where people, you know, like we felt some complacency here that has to have existed in other communities. And now they're thinking, OK, maybe I need to start uh, being a bit more serious again. Well, you know, I went down the line of cars and chatted with folks. Why are you here? How are you feeling? What do you think about the rise in Westman? And uh, an overwhelming majority of these people told me, you know, it was only a matter of time. People were not taking it seriously in rural Manitoba. This was bound to happen was the answer I kept getting from these folks. All right, Global News Morning reporter Abigail Turner in Brandon tonight at one of the testing facilities, a second one to open up uh, sometime today. Thanks very much, Abigail. Thanks, guys. So you have to drive extra to get to the next grocery store. So on that end, customers are extremely uh, upset and pissed off. Uh, On the delivery side, uh, it was very challenging getting uh, deliveries into the store due to the uh, closures of every entrance. That was Munther Zeed, owner of Food Fair, speaking to us just after 7 about the challenges of doing business on Maryland, where traffic has been reduced to one lane due to road work, Loren. Now, I think we can all agree, our listeners can agree, we want our roads to be smoother. We complain all the time about them. So in theory, all the construction we see out there right now is a good thing. But that doesn't mean there aren't challenges for businesses, drivers, and and people with accessibility issues trying to get around all the signs and that road work. So for an update on the latest with these projects, we want to go now to Michelle Staten, who's project management engineer for the city of Winnipeg. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Let's start with Maryland. You perhaps heard that clip from Munther Zeed. He's just kind of stressed about all the construction going on out there. So what is happening on Maryland and when will that work be done? Um, understandably uh, uh, stressed about that. The, the, that construction is a full, uh, complete reconstruction of the roadway, which is our one of the things that takes the longest in our in our uh, uh, repertoire of um, treatments. Um, we go right down to the the, the, the clay base and uh, and start from scratch. And in order to keep um, traffic somewhat flowing through there, we have to do it in stages. And of course, if we're doing intersections, we have to close them. Um, we do try to communicate as best we can with uh, with the businesses and and, and try and, and offer solutions and routes around if uh, to to the extent that we can. Um, but uh, the message is that it's short term pain for long term gain, and and we appreciate everyone's patience in, in that. And he will end up with a, a much smoother, nicer road in front of his business uh, going forward. This year. Will it be done uh, this year, Michelle? Yeah, it's expected to be completed this year, yes. Uh, Michelle, uh, Montreal also mentioned that there was some work being done on Westminster, I believe, the east-west route there. Is that all part of the same project? Because I think Montreal was suggesting that it might have been a separate project happening at the exact same time. I am not aware of that. If there may be some development there, and if that's the case, then that, that they might have required a lane closure. I did notice that building was under construction but I'm sorry I, I'm, I'm not uh, 
I'm not familiar with that specifics on that if it's not part of ours. Well, there's a lot of work going on. I mentioned this morning yeah. driving yeah. in. There's yeah. signs everywhere. So oh, to keep yeah. tabs on it all, Michelle, I can appreciate is is a challenging job. But adding to the challenge, too, for people is that stress of just maybe their time or their money. If you're a business owner, what considerations are given to businesses when it comes to maybe the option of some night construction or weekend construction or 24-7 construction? Because this comes up every summer. Well, there's there's uh, every everything that we do to accelerate construction comes at a cost, so we have to do it where it's a specific benefit. So 24/7 construction, um, you can appreciate that certainly on a on a street like Maryland, there's a lot of people that would not want that there um, because that would be all summer and uh, and it would be it's it's right in the middle of a neighborhood as most of our streets, most of our major streets are. We we don't have a lot of freeways, but. Um, so many of them are either in proximity to residents or apartment buildings. So to do it as a, a matter of course would prove difficult. Where we we do it, where there's like a specific intersection that needs to be done uh, quickly, or a specific operation that needs to be done quickly, and um, like quickly in terms of weeks instead of days instead of weeks, um, we will. Uh, require or request that the contractor do that. Sometimes the contractor will request the, the, to us that uh, something be done overnight or, or through a weekend um, so that they can get their operation done quickly. One of the pains in the neck for people driving around in the southeast corner of the city is Furmore and Lajamodier. That's been going on for two seasons now, if uh, construction seasons now. When will that mm-hmm. project be wound up? That one is about 80% done, and we're expected to certainly finish that one uh, um, this year. It's uh, it, that one has been a big headache for sure, um, but it's been it, it's been long coming, and there'll be some good traffic improvements, safety improvements throughout there as well. Only because that's so my route, I want a specific date, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid due to weather, we've had really good weather uh, so far, and, and are progressing nicely, but I can't promise stuff like that to a date. Has it helped that there are fewer cars on the road? Does that speed up some of the construction, given that we just have fewer people commuting right now, Michelle? Uh, no doubt. It, 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 I don't believe it really would help our, our schedule, but it certainly helps them. It certainly helps the, the traffic backups and it helps the, uh, the safety of the, through the site for sure. And uh, really quick before we go, Michelle, and this isn't meant to be uh, something to, to gloss over, just accessibility issues. We've seen complaints with regard to uh, people with mobility issues, wheelchairs, etc., having a difficult time navigating these construction areas. What accommodation should be being made there? Well, we do, certainly if there's a, if there's a specific uh, a person or site, like a, um, at a specific location, and they've identified themselves, we will work with them to make sure that they're able to get in and out. Um, the, I guess the, the trickier uh, aspect is getting through a construction site. We do maintain, uh, uh, try to maintain a, uh, a clear path for, for pedestrians and, and access throughout a construction site, but the challenge is that that, that will need to change from time to time. So if you've made your way through the through the passage on one day, it might be changed the, the next day. So it, it's a little tricky to, uh, we, you know, to, to navigate that. We try to, you know, make sure that the signage is clear and and in advance enough. But uh, it's 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 a challenge. Like I said before, it's uh, it's short term pain for for improvement in the long run. Okay, Michelle. Well, thanks very much. We appreciate uh, the insight and you joining us this morning. October 17th. Can we say that? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, 
Well, we do have to. I mean, we have a we have a hard and fast deadline with winter coming. That's that's a that's a known. The unfortunate part is we don't always know when that's coming. Last year, it kind of hit us in the face a little bit early, and we had to uh, do some quick accommodations. But um, yeah, for sure, uh, we t- tend to get a little wetter and colder in September. That kind of drags things out. So it's really nice to be able to get ahead of a lot of stuff this year. But yes, uh, October will for sure will be. All right. I'll, I don't. Okay, I don't like to say for sure. I'll call you October 18th. Thanks, Michelle. You mentioned the fact that you've been working from home. Uh, I have as well. It's unusual for us to be both in the studio as Brett is on holidays. We are socially and physically distancing. We, in fact, have a piece of plexiglass. It's a rock glass, window security systems, unbreakable windows, plexiglass between us to keep us both safe. But there is a trend, obviously, with regard to working at home. And one of the questions we have in these pandemic times, is that trend going to continue? And we're asking that this morning because a study out of Dalhousie University in tandem with cattle looked at C-A-D-D-L-E. That's um, looked at a nationwide survey. They interviewed 10,000 Canadians and they found that because so many people are working from home and might continue to work from home, there could be a real hit on the hospitality industry. So a total of 23.6 Canadians said they also intend to work from home into this year, later into this fall and into this winter, Greg. And so the impact could be big on restaurants, on places that just rely on you getting some takeout coffee and and all sorts of places. And so for more on the study's result and what we can perhaps take from this, we are joined now by uh, the co-author of the study. Her name is Janet Music, and she joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. So the takeaway from this is that, first of all, not only are people working at home the past five months, but there might be many who continue to work from home into the, the, the later part of this year and potentially 2021. Yes, that's true. Um, it's certainly true for us at Dalhousie. It looks like we'll be working from home into the fall and most likely into the winter and maybe even to next summer. There's a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, we're waiting for the so-called second wave, whatever that will look like I'm not you know I'm not sure but there's definitely a, a switch for people who not only are were forced to come home but are you know found out that they actually enjoyed working from their home office um, and then also there's those people that it's just uncertain right so almost 40% of people who are either unemployed or just don't know what the future holds those people you know, it's, it's a real up in the air for them, for sure. And a lot of people were consulted with this research, almost 11,000. So this is a really a gigantic uh, survey here. And uh, what do you think was the most startling uh, result uh, with regard to this? Because uh, I know that Loren and I were discussing the fact that she's spending less money in the community when she's working from home. And I would uh, concur that I, I'm doing exactly the same. What, what are the results from this survey telling us about those habits and how they're changing? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you both mentioned you came into the office this morning, and uh, I don't know if you stopped off for coffee on your way in, but, I mean, that's having a huge impact for people who commute. And for most urban centres, people are commuting downtown. And many, you know, are in that lineup in the drive-thru on the way to work. And so, 
you know, we're going to see coffee shops take a hit for sure in the morning. But, you know, in Halifax, our downtown, you know, is a lot of offices and Winnipeg, I think, is the same where we have these beautiful little lunch uh, counters that close, you know, at three o'clock in the afternoon because the downtown core uh, empties out. And so they're going to see an impact as well. I mean, the study really shows that uh, before the pandemic, we're, we're seeing, you know, 59, 60% of our food dollars are at the grocery store and about 40% are in restaurants or food service. And that, once the pandemic hit, was really significantly changed. So only 9 to 10% was spent on food service. But that was because a lot of places were closed and people were really frightened of the unknown. But it's going to take a while for that to go back to normal, and we could see significant dollar uh, decreases in that sector, which also translates to unemployment and precarious employment for a lot of people. I have to thank Janet, and we're speaking with Janet Music from Dalhousie University, one of the co-authors of this study that found that it could be a $20 billion hit to the hospitality industry, in part because there are more people telecommuting or working from home. I'd have to think that the results would show, Janet, that there are parts of any city that might be hurt more because I might still order out or get delivery into my home, but I'm certainly not eating lunch uh, or shopping downtown like I would be normally because I'm not downtown. That's right. That's right. And so, you know, we have seen some uh, restaurant fatalities here. Certainly some of my favorite restaurants closed and we're not going to open again. And that's really sad for the community because a restaurant is more than just food service, right? It's where we spend time to entertain and to socialize, see family when they come from out of town. Many, you know, new parents get one to two date nights a week, uh, a month, a week, that would be nice. You know, when they spend those in restaurants, right? And so they're really a hub of social uh, activity and community. And so we'll see a change, right? We'll see the rise of maybe a ghost kitchen. And a, a ghost kitchen is where you have a, an industrial kitchen that makes food, but there's no front of house, right? So there's no seating area. They just do takeout. So you know, we'll see a rise in that. We're also seeing this kind of phenomenon where chefs are going into private homes for an evening. So you're having a dinner party with a chef in your house, right? So home catering, um, which is very decadent, but not probably accessible to a lot of people. And so it is sad. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, once we get COVID under control and we're more comfortable with one another in public and, the new normal starts to take shape that, you know, Canadians return to the restaurant because they're wonderful places for getting together. Uh, Janet, before we let you go here, I'm sitting here from where I sit and I can see uh, Richardson Winnipeg International Airport and the number of flights coming in and out of there has dropped by 95%. So business travel has essentially disappeared and that's a huge source of revenue, uh, not only for hotels, but for restaurants and particularly those that are located close to a major hotel. And a lot of those also or in the downtown cores of major cities? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, we've been grounded here. I'm in the Atlantic bubble. You know, I can travel to my neighboring provinces, which are beautiful, but, you know, really reluctant to leave the province. And 
And, uh, you know, it's hurting. It's hurting a lot of businesses. So we see this ripple effect of the pandemic, you know, not just in the food and restaurant industry, but the hospitality industry, tourism, you know, and then all of those just little shops that you duck into when you've got 15 minutes and you don't want to sit at your desk, right? So little boutiques and bookstores. And it's it's serious, but, you know, I'm hoping and we have to be hopeful that these things kind of get back up on their feet as we approach Christmas, as we, you know, go into next year and maybe things calm down and we get things under control. And that all of our hard work, social distancing and wearing our masks pays off for us in the long run. Janet Music joining us from Dalhousie University. Now, Janet, before we let you run here, can you help us with something? I've been uh, Googling cattle, C-A-D-D-L-E, to uh, find out what that stands for. Uh, can you fill us in before we let you run? I, it's I, it's not an acronym. It's their own name. They're a research house. Uh, they, they provide research services for academic institutions. Very good. Well, we appreciate yeah. that. Thank you for that insight. And thanks for sharing this information uh, with us. We appreciate it. Hopefully we can catch up with you again. All right. Take care. That's startling. And when you sit back and you think about the amount of money that you're not spending where you used to spend it, there's a trickle down. And of course, we always talk about economic multipliers and the fact that people are not coming from out of town en masse mm-hmm. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays for business. That's have to be, that has to be having a huge impact on restaurants, uh, let alone the, the fact that we're going out less and less uh, at home. There's the question about what you're doing right now in terms of if you are working from home will you continue to be working from home in the month ahead and so businesses can't plan for that they don't know because there's so much uncertainty they don't know where this pandemic is going and then second to that greg you might find that you like that there's more cash in your pocket if you're lucky enough to be someone who's kept your job continue to work from home you're not spending as much money on your coffee in the morning or lunch out and if you do come back to work Will you have a permanent change there? I thought I would, and I've stopped for coffee two days in a row now, so I'm not so sure. But will you stop and think about the dollars you're not spending and say, when I get back to work, I'm going to continue to do that? I missed his mug at home because he's laughing at me right now. I think it's me if I'm guessing right. Yes? I don't know. It's it's, It's different here because, like, where my camera is, I have to look the other side of the room. The TV's right. It's 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 weird. Well, I was playing the air yes, guitar I was and I saw him laughing, <laughs> and I miss seeing his face. You get no reactions when you're at home, you're just alone in a room by yourself. Well, sometimes those smiles is from this Jeff thing on. It's basically, how you feel the whole time. Dead air. Is there anybody there? <laughs> those smiles from Jeff Forche uh, got me through many a night, filling in for Jeff Courier on the Nighthawk once upon a time, and then now in the morning, there's no smilier a guy, if smilier is in fact is a now. word, than Jeff Forche, the guy who eats jerky in the shower. If you missed that earlier this morning, I'm getting text messages from my friends going, Jeff Forche, did he say he actually eats food in the shower? Yeah. Yes, he, he did. He actually said beef, beef jerky. He said beef jerky is the best shower food, implying there are, there are other shower foods he has tested along the way. I don't know about that, buddy, but here we are. Hey, if you sit in the bath, you can have a full meal. 
Okay, I can't. <laughs> I'm just picturing fortune with one of those bath tables and like a full roast chicken and some gravy and mashed potatoes. Candles. This is too much. Bubbles, a la, a la Chandler, uh, once upon a time Meat on loaf. Friends. So if you don't tune in before 7 o'clock, that's some of the uh, ridiculousness that you uh, will be missing. If uh, you are up and at it uh, between 6 and 7, uh, we're a little more loosey-goosey, shall we say, in that hour of the morning. Doesn't mean there's not lots of news and information, but for at least for five or six minutes, we like to let our hair down and have a little fun. Now, uh, speaking of fun, Super Bowl seems like ages mm-hmm. ago, as do most things that were pro- prior to March 10th, 11th, or 12th, thereabouts when the economy started to shut down because of COVID-19. But we shared with you and visited uh, with a Winnipeg business who was invited to come down to Super Bowl to highlight their very innovative business idea, Loren. And it's something that I think makes a lot of sense to us and might make more sense to us as we move forward in these pandemic times and think about what we're touching and where we're leaving our mark, not just the environment. It's called I Reuse, and it's an eco-sustainable set of cutlery, essentially. And it's some beautiful stuff. And uh, one of the creators and owners, Nikki Buchanan, joins us now. Good morning, Nikki. Hi, how are you guys? Well, it's great to have you. We're great. It's great to have you back on because when you brought this stuff into studio Back in January, I think we all agreed it was an incredible concept. For those who can't see or imagine what we're speaking of right now, just explain to our listeners, what is iReuse? What is this cutlery we're talking about? So iReuse 2 is a luxury, eco-sustainable, on-the-go set of cutlery. Basically, you're just going to own your own personal set of cutlery designed to go with you. You're going to just put it in your bag, your car, your desk. And you're going to be safer wherever you are because you know what happened to your own personal cutlery before you got to wherever you're getting to. (laughs) Well, you know, Nikki, as Loren mentioned, uh, even in January when we spoke to you, it did seem like a great idea in terms of hygiene and and taking care of yourself. But now in these COVID times, you know, you hate to say it, but could the timing have possibly been better for you to launch this enterprise? No, it was crazy. So our original purpose and really the whole um, drive for the business was the environmental impact. We wanted to reduce single waste and get rid of that garbage out of the landfills. And now with COVID, it was like, wow, our actual business has a double duty. And it, it feels almost like just as an important one with the COVID. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. Because there's the recycling factor and the sustainability, but then there's also just on the other front, the where, what we touch and our sanitizers that we're using and all those kinds of things are playing into people's minds now more than ever before. What, what are customers telling you? And when you say it's been good for business, can you expand upon that a bit, Nikki, in terms of what you've seen in sales? Yeah, we, uh, we've actually sustained. There was a little drop, I think, just in uh, March, just because of the uncertainty of the world, if you will. But, uh, yeah, people just keep going because it makes sense right now. It's a safety aspect, right? You feel a little bit more comfortable when you own and bring your own cutlery. Not to say that anybody else's <laughs> cutlery is bad, but it's you you're protected you know you know how you washed it and you're touching it you're the one that owns it so yeah it's, it's a great product and it's a great fashion accessory as well I, <laughs> I might suggest now this uh jumped off the page for me quite literally because i went to my mailbox the other day and there was this deluxe flyer from your company nikki and i was like oh my goodness good for them my first yes. reaction was 
you're taking the next step. Would that be an accurate reaction on my part? Yes, for sure. We definitely want more people to know about our brand. I think it's a a no-brainer type of product. It does double duty, so it's great for the environment. Plus, it's also amazing for this time that we're living in, this new world that we've entered. And, yeah, we want to take the company, not just from Winnipeg, but we want to be like a movement. We want everybody, everywhere, every meal to have it and to own it and to want to pull it out. When you do pull it out, it's gorgeous. You will be shocked. <laughs> when when people do take something like this out, I would guess that maybe in the beginning they get a lot of questions. What's this about? So word of mouth becomes part of the equation for sales. But to be putting flyers, to be putting ads out there, that's a changing the game. And so therefore you're also clearly spending more now in hopes of getting mm-hmm. that return later. We sure are. Yeah, we actually wanted to do one flyer run just because we're an eco company. We still want people to know we're there, but we didn't want to just blanket flyers. We don't think that that's necessary. So we're also doing some radio advertising and we're also doing TV now. And we're going to expand to across Canada really soon. (laughs) So, Nikki, your energy is infectious. You're a positive person. We met you face-to-face in the studio back in January, you and Jamie, and and the work that you're doing is tremendous, and we love to highlight the success of Manitoba entrepreneurs. So congratulations on this. What's been the biggest challenge before we let you run in terms of, of, of taking this enterprise to the next step? Just the patience. I don't have patience. <laughs> you don't want to wait, right? And we mentioned you mentioned Jamie there, Greg. Is it just you and Jamie in this company venture, or you've hired more along the way? Not yet. We it's just still us. Every single order we receive, we check it, we pack it, we bring it, we deliver it. We uh, literally bring it usually within the next day or same day most of the time. And yeah, it's just us so far. We uh, we hope to need to more, have more people, and that would be a, a great, uh, great situation to fall into. Well, Nikki Buchanan, give us the uh, website one more time, and uh, we'll uh, we'll let you go at least for now, and we'll check in with you in a few weeks. Awesome, uh, Iris Two dot com. Very good, Nikki Buchanan. Thank you for this, and once again, congratulations on uh, taking the next step in uh, in the creation and of the uh, evolution of your business. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.